Hey, just making a short break to let you know that my signature course, The Lettering Seminar, is opening registrations for new students soon. This program is my streamlined lettering university for you, and since 2017, it has helped students master the art of hand lettering and progress in their careers. It happens just a couple of times per year, so if you want to join us this time around, I recommend you to sign up for the waiting list on theletteringseminar.com, and I will let you know as soon as registration opens. Also, those who sign up for the waiting list get exclusive access to some awesome bonuses. Go to theletteringseminar.com to sign up. Now, back to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Open Studio. I'm your host, Martina Flor, and in this show, I have honest conversations with artists, designers, and creatives to uncover their paths and discuss the specific tactics they use to overcome challenges and succeed on their own terms. Today, I'll be having a conversation with Lisa Condom, an internationally known fine artist, illustrator, and writer based in Poland, Oregon, in the United States. She makes art for clients around the globe, and she is the author of 10 books, including Art Inc. and Find Your Artistic Voice. She's the host of the podcast, The Lisa Condon Sessions, and she teaches creative entrepreneurship at Pacific Northwest College of Art. Lisa has always been a role model to me. She's a person who I've always looked up to for her fearlessness, talent, and entrepreneurial spirit. In this conversation, Lisa speaks openly about her artistic career that started in her 30s. She shares the steps and decisions that led 15 years later to being recognized as a leader in the creative industries, not just as an artist, but also for her work in fundraising, knowledge sharing, mentoring, and teaching. Lisa opened up and provided key insights that I'm sure will be useful for anyone looking to shape a remarkable creative path. Enjoy the amazing Lisa Condom. So hello, Lisa. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. I'm, th I'm so excited to talk to you today. And, you know, before, as I was preparing the questions for for the podcast, I was wondering like where to start really, like there's so many things I would love to talk to you about. Um, you know, you have an amazing career as an artist. You have worked for several clients across several industries and you have started self-initiated projects. You run your own online uh, shop. You teach online classes or you write books. Uh, you exhibit your work at, at galleries. So for someone looking at you right now you have like the perfect uh, creative career path and there's a lot of things that you seem to have experience with um, but in this show I love to talk to you about how you got there and really like all the challenges you, you had to go through uh, to get where you are right now I bet it wasn't easy in the beginning and I want to hear these stories like where did you start and how did the th how what, what were the things that happened in between and where you are uh, where you are right now so I want to start by the beginning and ask you where did you grow up and what was your family like well um okay so I was born in um what we call in the U United States upstate New York which means um the area of New York State that's above New York City, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and um, so I was born like two and a half hours um, north of New York City. Although I never went to New York City until I was like in my 20s, which is weird to, thing to think about. Um, and my parents are just sort of your average you know, American parents. My dad was a scientist or was a scientist. He's still alive. Um, although of course he's retired now because he's in his eighties. And, um, my mom, uh, was what we call a homemaker. Like most of the time when I was growing up, she didn't have a job. My, you know, it was a very sort of traditional 1970s family. I was born in 1968. So I did most of my, like my childhood was in the seventies. And, um, when I was, uh, eight 
years old in 1976, uh, we moved to California. And that was a really big deal because um, California, like the United States is huge. And um, California was like a different country to me. But I was really um, excited to be there once we got there. Um, the weather was <laughs> was amazing. Um, and I lived in the Bay Area, which is kind of in the middle of California, like outside of San Francisco. And um, we moved because my dad got transferred his for his job. And my mom is, um, she's now a self-identified artist. Um, but at the time, my mom was not making art professionally at all. Um, she was, you know, taking care of her kids and, you know, had some, you know, she had a job for a period of time when I was like, you know, in my adolescence. Mm -hmm. And um, she was this really creative person, though. And so I grew up in a home where creativity was really encouraged. And my mom was always inventing projects for us. Um, my mom was a weaver. She had a giant like German loom in our house and she would weave tapestries. And like my sister and I joke now that we wish my mom had never gotten rid of the loom because <laughs> they're really hard to come by these days and weaving is really popular again. But, you know, it was sort of typical 1970s, you know, growing up um, in suburbia, except my mom, you know, was a weaver and um, super creative. I don't think any of us, and I have an older brother who's um, two years older than I am and a sister who's two years younger. I don't think we've all sort of ended up in creative careers and endeavors, but I don't think any of us imagined that that's what we would be doing, you know? Um, so we all, I went off to college. Um, I studied history. Um I never considered myself artistic at all. Mm. And in my in my late 20s, um, actually in my early 20s, I, I got into a relationship with somebody who was, I came out as gay in my early 20s and I got into a relationship with a woman who um, was a graphic designer. And she grew up in New York City and she was um, just like her, like, she introduced me to this world that I had never been exposed to before in my sort of like suburban middle class upbringing in upstate New York and California, which was like art and design and, you know, Myra Coleman and Tibor Coleman and the Gorilla Girls and, you know, Lucian Freud. And like, you know, we would go to visit her family in New York and we would go to museums and I just got immersed in this world mm. and kind of fell in love with it. And then still never imagining that I could be the artist, like that, that I could actually make things um, myself. I didn't consider myself artistic at all. And then we were together for about 10 years. Our relationship ended amicably. But um, right after we broke up, I was like kind of, felt a like a dearth of, you know, I don't know, like I, I didn't really have enough hobbies or things to do because I was single for the first time since I was in my early 20s. And so I decided to take a painting class mm. and um, and I just kind of fell in love with it. Like anyone taking a painting class for the first time, I was kind of terrible at it. You know, it wasn't like I sat down and could draw or paint like I do now. Like it, it was your typical hot mess. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And that really sparked something in me. So I started taking painting classes and drawing classes kind of on the side. Um, I was single for a pretty long time. I had a few short relationships in how, there. How old, I... how old were you at that time when you started oh, taking the painting classes and stuff? Great question. Yeah. Early 30s. Okay. Um, so I was like, I was older, you know. Um, and again, like the internet as we know it today didn't exist at the time. This was in the early 2000s. So there were blogs sprouting up and things like that, but there was no social media. And um, before before we get into that, because I know that the yeah. Internet and blogging and social media had a big impact on your career. But before we get into that, I have a, a few questions about what you were telling, because it seems that you grew up in a very creative or in, in, in a household that 
encourage you to be creative. Your mom uh, is a self-identified artist. Um, it probably presented you with a bunch of different uh, creative um, exercises Martina, as you were a kid. Me, and later on, you decided to um, sort of follow a different path. And you started, uh, you, you signed up for a history uh, grade or a history um, for history school, as you said. Am yeah, I, am yeah, I was like... Getting my degree in history. You, you yeah. were getting your degree in history, and so you you didn't really follow a creative path, right? At, until at some right. point, you got this. Um, you were exposed to this creative world through a couple of or a, yeah. a partner of yours, and yeah. I wonder what was there that really sparked your your interest. What was there in this first in this exposure to the world of art and design, but also to uh, this first experiences with creating art yourself. What were the things and the cues that you thought, hey, this could be something for me. You know, I could, I could see myself in this. Uh, what were these cues that you found along the way? Well, I think that the first thing to, for, you know, that I want to say is that the the spark of like feeling any creative person who's interested in art and design and in my book find your artistic voice i talk a lot about like there's a whole a part of a chapter that's about this where what we call the spark right like the exact word that you used where we we experience something that turns something on inside of us right mm. like and for some people it's like it happens when they're five years old and for some people it doesn't happen until they're in their 60s right but something that you see or experience that lights something up in inside of you that's like I like this I don't know necessarily know if I could do this or if I could if I want to do this but I appreciate what this is like this piece of art speaks to me or this genre of art speaks to me or um this you know like this excites me and for me that didn't really happen until I was you know with this partner of mine and at that point it was just being exposed to just I remember walking into her apartment for the first time when we very when we first met like um I think it was like even on our first date we met at a party and so then like a week later we went on a date and I remember after the date like at the end of the date, she's like, do you want to come see my apartment? And I walked in and it was like graphic design posters everywhere and like mid-century furniture. Mm -hmm. And this is not anything I had ever been exposed to. Um, and I just remember being like, this is the coolest apartment I have ever seen. Like, what is that? What's going on here? Like, I love this. Like, I don't know what it is, but I love it. Mm -hmm. And so then I kind of got like a crush on her, just like beyond physical attraction was more like, who is this cool person and all this cool stuff she has around and, you know. And so that was like the initial spark of like, I like art and design. Mm. I didn't know I liked it, but I like it. Even though I had been, as you mentioned, like I grew up in a home where like creativity was encouraged. I never was exposed to art and design in the way yeah. that I was in my early 20s when I met her. Fast forward, and again, like, for years, you know, I would stand and watch her work. You know, she was an art director at an advertising agency, and I would stand over her shoulder and watch her work. And, like, Quark, which was, like, the, the illustrator of, like, back in the day, you know, this was before Photoshop even. Like, I would watch her work on the computer and create this stuff, and I was, like, mesmerized. But, again, never, like, oh, I should go back to school to do this. Like, and where were you? Where you already having your first, um, your first experiences with doing art yourself, or is where, where not at, at this uh, point? No. All right. Yeah. That didn't really happen. So, I would say that while we were together, I was definitely making things. I, I she passed away recently, mm -hmm. and after she died, um, her sister and her current partner mailed me all of this stuff from our relationship that she had saved and I was definitely like she had written me notes and made me art and I apparently did the same for her and so 
I was starting to make stuff and so it was clearly was inspired by her, but it was more like, I'm going to do this for fun, never imagining it could be a career. I don't even think it was until the internet that most of us realized that what we do today could be a career, right? And so after we broke up, um, as I mentioned, I started feeling like not I want to be an artist as a career like again a picture of what that looked like felt so far flung to me I think it was more like I'm bored I'm Mm. single I have time maybe I should take a painting class Um, and even for years after I took that painting class even after for years after I was like I love doing this it took a you know it took a while for me to be like oh wait a second I actually think I want to do this all the time and do it for a living and I think it was the convergence of the love of it and then when the internet happened and I started to see pictures of what that could look like because I I was started following in in this at this time it was like following people on Flickr Mm. um, which is a photo sharing (laughs) Um, like pictures of like what that could look like Um, and you know because I was following people who were hobby artists like I was and then also people who were professional artists and I started to say like Oh, and there became all these ways that you could start to monetize yourself. Like mm. you didn't, you know, at that time, you to be a professional artist, you really needed a, a gatekeeper. You needed an education in going to art school. You needed a gatekeeper, like uh, a gallery owner, uh, agent, something like that. Like there was no way to promote your work yourself necessarily. And so, you know, I, I just was like making work for fun. Mm. And then eventually... I started to see the kind of um, like the, the the center of the Venn diagram of like, I love this and somebody can make a living at this and like what that might look like for me. And as you alluded to in the very beginning of our conversation, like it's not like one day I was like, oh, I'm going to turn this into a business. You know, I had to learn a lot yeah. and I had to, I was literally a starving artist for a period of time. And, and so. what came first for you? Like, um, did you... Did you first start making money with what you were doing or did you just decide to go freelance and really make money with what you were doing? Um, Yeah. So I when I when I first was like, okay, I want to do this. Um, I had a friend, Lorena Simonovich, who, by the way, is also from Argentina. Oh, yeah. I know her, yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And um, we had become friends, and we became friends because um, her husband was an art director at Old Navy at the time, which is an American chain. And um, somehow he came across my blog and was like, this this woman lives in San Francisco. You two should be friends. And... um, you, you have a lot in common. And um, she was really a mentor to me mm. in the beginning because she was already a professional artist. Mm. And and she at the time, she was like working freelance and also as an art director at Gallison Stationery. And so she was like, okay, look, you know, at the time you needed an agent. This was, again, before that was nece- not necessarily the case. And so she really encouraged me to work on my portfolio and – um, make some personal work that I could put in my portfolio. And um, and then miraculously, within like two years, I signed with Lilla Rogers, who was my very first agent. And she really helped to kickstart my career and really also started, like Lorena, started to like mentor me in what it would take for me to build my portfolio, to learn how to work with clients, Um I, at the time, I had, like, shown my work in a couple of very small galleries. I had had some solo shows, but I realized very quickly that being a fine artist and just making personal work and making money off originals was not going to sustain me. Like, mm. I needed to break into commercial art, and I worked really hard at building my portfolio, and I was looking at other people's work and trying to understand the kind of work that I wanted to make myself. I was essentially working on finding my artistic voice and honing my skill. And, um, and so that's sort of how it started for me. And I want to ask you, like in that moment where you were looking to engage a, uh, an agent and you were working on your portfolio, were you already trying to reach out to clients and kind of making connections to get, um, client assignments or and, and if so yeah. how, how were you doing that 
Yeah, well, I I didn't really know how. <laughs> so, uh, um, I think the my my motto from the very beginning was like, which comes from an American movie called um, Field of Dreams. But it was like, if you build it, they will come. And mm. I just kept thinking, like, if I make enough work and keep putting it out into the world in these channels that I have, and again at the time that was like Flickr, my blog, and um, my website. Mm portfolio like if I just keep making new work and keep putting it out there eventually people who are interested in it will see it and start hiring me and so I wasn't doing so much like mailing uh you know my pieces of my portfolio to art directors I wasn't necessarily reaching out to people but I had three lucky breaks so the first one was the um poetry the American Poetry Foundation hired somehow the woman who was art directing like the artwork that was going to go with the winning poem from that year Hmm. um like found me on Flickr and like asked me to illustrate a poem I think I made probably three hundred dollars (laughs) like you know it was not a high paying thing um but that was kind of a big deal for me and then um Poketto who's now a pretty big brand um at the time they were commissioning artists to um submit artwork or have you know artwork go on things like um wallets and um other like accessories and things like that and they found me on Flickr Mm. and I did a line with them which actually then there was another line that ended up in Target like very early on in my career and then the third thing that happened was and this is the biggest deal for me I had a show at a shop in San Francisco, San Francisco called the Candy Store, which was a clothing and accessories shop, but they had walls dedicated to artwork. And I became friends with the woman who owned that place. She offered me a solo show there. Um, somebody wrote about it on a a site called Daily Candy, which was hmm. at the time um, this kind of like thing that people would sign up for to hear about like all of the cool art shows happening and events happening around town and um and so I got uh written up in daily candy somehow and um my show hordes of people came to my opening I sold every I sold out of everything this was paintings and collages and some Mm -hmm. shadow boxes that I had created and somebody from chronicle books showed up and um loved some of my paintings and within a few months um my artwork was on the cover of like a journal that they had published and my art ended up on the cover of the um the catalog for chronicle books and that was actually what got me um the to sign with lila rogers was like she was like oh you already have a little bit of work Mm. and i like what i see in your portfolio already but you obviously need support and help and mentoring to grow and I think she also liked that I was older Mm. and had business experience in something completely different um in my 20s I worked for an um I was a teacher and then I worked in a nonprofit organization for many years and so I had a certain amount of you know maturity that I wouldn't have had when I was 23 and at this point I was um in my mid mid 30s and yeah and so that was the start. Now, you would think maybe like all of a sudden my inbox was like infiltrated and I was getting all kinds of work and making all kinds of money. That took a lot longer. So you actually got your agent through this, you know, after this three lucky breaks that you mentioned, right? Um, so you were actually negotiating all of the fees for all of these projects yourself. So how did you come about like figuring this out and kind of <laughs> drafting those those contracts and kind of negotiating the fees with the decision makers? I think if to be honest with you in the beginning if anybody even offered me any money at all, I just said yes. Mm-mm. There was yeah. no negotiation. I think that came later when mm. I started to understand my worth. Yeah. And um And that was actually something that was such a great education for me when I did sign with Lola because, Mm. you know, one advantage to having an agent is that they understand the kind of industry standard for what you should be paid for certain things. Mm. And at the time, I was just so happy that anyone was interested in working with me. And I did have 
other form of employment at the time. And so this was something I was doing on the side. Um, I think earlier you asked and I didn't address the question like, did you know, when did I like, did I just sort of leave my job? Mm. And I was working at a nonprofit organization. And when this all was started to happening, like signing with Lila, I was like, OK, I'm going to go to halftime at my job. And then around that time, I opened a shop in San Francisco with a friend of mine. So that was a way for me to go full-time freelance mm. and leave my nonprofit job, but not have my income be solely dependent on illustration mm -hmm. or fine art or Etsy sales, because by that point I had joined Etsy. And so it was great because I got to like make my own schedule and my friend and I, um, you know, I would say, well, you know, right now I have this amount of freelance work, which was never very much at the beginning. I can work these days at the shop. And then I would take a draw from what we made at the shop each week. And that really helped to supplement my income. I was, you know, living in San Francisco, which was super expensive. Yeah. And that was hard. And I was also single at the time. So mm. I was like trying to support myself. It was tough. This makes the, the perfect segue to touch on something that I think is really characteristic from you that is that you have built your business um, based on a lot of different income streams and I know you speak um, you speak strongly about this in your book um, Art Inc yeah. because you believe that um, you know this is a great way for an artist to make a living of what they do to sort of You know, not putting, I think you say it like not putting all your eggs on one uh, nest. I don't know how, how exactly you. All your eggs in one basket. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm personally also advocate for that approach. Uh, even when today I have sort of simplified my business um, in various ways. Um, so I want to ask you how it is. And I know that you have started a lot of different projects. You have your online shop, your books, your online classes. Um, and I want to ask you, if you try to keep all these projects running at this point of your career, and how do you do it? How do you technically do that so that you keep attention on all these things and you keep them running? Well, there's the beginning of that the middle of that and the, and, and, and the now. Um, yes, and those are three right. very different things. So in the beginning, when I first started diversifying my income and was had my hands in lots of pots, and I realized very early on that that was the way that I was going to be able to sustain my career. Because now I could make 100% of my living doing illustration mm. and brand partnerships and all of that. But in the beginning, I couldn't have, A, I wasn't making enough money, and B, I didn't, in the jobs that I did have, and B, I wasn't getting as many opportunities mm. as I have now. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to teach workshops. I need to maybe get into publishing. I need, you know, so I, I, um, I understood very early, like, this is what I have to do in order to survive. And then eventually I can, you know, only do one thing if I choose to. Um, that never actually happened. I, I like doing all the things too much. Um, so in the beginning it was really hard and I remember being really stressed out, um, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't doing all of the things I do now to the level that I do them now. So like, yeah, I had an online shop, but I would maybe sell 10 things a week. Mm. Um, I mean, I sell sometimes 40 things a day now. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like doing it myself then was a lot easier. And, um, you know, one thing that I, I always want to mention is that by the time I was doing this, I was in my late 30s early 40s, I had years of work experience and time management experience and project management experience mm. working for this nonprofit. So one advantage to all of the work experience I had outside of the art world was that I knew how to manage my time. I had learned how to stay organized and to kind of like compartmentalize each thing and devote time to it. And I'm, I'm a Capricorn, so I'm a pretty organized person and I get overwhelmed just like the next person but I have always had a gift for like figuring out how to manage everything and um, get things done and actually and so, I, I, I want to say that I really appreciate that you mentioned that because you come from a different like you you dedicated um, 
you know, years to work in a totally different industry, but still you capitalize this or you take this experience into um, studying it in a totally different field. So you, I think it's a great message of kind of showing that you never start from scratch, even if you pivot careers in the middle, in, you know, in your mid thirties or in your forties, you never start from scratch. You take all those experiences into your new, you know, your new career path. So I think that's, yeah, it's so important to remember that, um, you always have skills and gifts Mm -hmm. that, um, even if you're starting art, you know, in the art world later, um, or a creative career later, you always have skills. Like the older you are, the more skills you have. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's definitely an advantage. Um, so that was sort of in the beginning and then things started to ramp up for me where I started making more sales in my Etsy shop. Um, around this time, I moved from um, California to um, Portland, Oregon, where I live now. Mm-hmm. And um, my wife um, left her job at the time to come work for me part-time. And um, that lasted about nine months. And then she was like, you know what? I want to go back to work. And so I hired someone to help me. So, But it was I never had an, a full-time staff until mm-hmm. – in the, the last couple of years. Um, but for a few years, I just had a part-time person come help me pack and ship orders. Um, I did, all, you know, I didn't have an agent at the time. At, the, at this time, I had also left Lilla Rogers, but mm. I hadn't yet signed with Coloop, which is my new agency. So I was negotiating all of my contracts myself. Um, I was packing and shipping orders with the help of Amy, who now works for me full-time. So I had, you know, it was like I, 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 I was really busy. You know, the middle years were probably the most stressful mm. because I was getting just enough work and sales in my shop and opportunities that there was a lot coming at me that I had to, you know, if I said yes to, I had to manage myself. But I still didn't have like a staff of people to support me or an agent to help negotiate. And so there was a tipping point about um, a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, at the beginning of 2020, um, ironically, um, where I was like, I can't, I I have to, I need to, I can't do this myself Mm. anymore. And so um, in the last couple of years, I brought Amy on full time. Um, Earlier this year, I have, now I have a a second full-time employee. I have a half-time uh, freelance person who helps me with all of my social media strat and marketing strategy. And then I have a halftime like helper, like, um, somebody who knows how to pack and ship inside and out and comes in whenever things get a little crazy. So I actually have a staff of four people to our freelance part-time to full-time salary. Um, and, um, they basically, I just got back from vacation in Mexico for two weeks and I did not even have to look at my email because yeah, my staff bad. <laughs> is so competent and so oh. so Amy Amy is now the head of retail and product development Erica is head of operations um, Lauren is my social media strategist like literally um, it wasn't always like this but mm. now they the ship runs itself the ship drive the train drives itself and, that's um, and i can yeah. i can walk away and that's really a gift um it's taken me years to get there um i pay them well um and you know my workplace culture is really important to me i have a giant space now where they they work and um and it's so but but i think what is important for people to remember is that like I had to transition from doing everything myself to delegating and trusting others to help me and finding really strong employees. That took um, over a decade. Yeah, and I want to ask you, how did you get there? Because I know that many people listening are freelancers and they may, you know, as any freelancer that run their own business, um, you know that you have to be in everything, like kind of pick up the phone, answer emails, do the work, um, write invoices, take care of the finances. Um, so at some point when the things start rolling, they feel overwhelmed. And I think that for many of us, we believe that 
no one else, just because we are a solo business, and many of us have also like personal brands where where you are the visible face of your business. We we buy into the idea that no one that we have to run our business alone and that no one can do it like we do it and therefore we enter into this like kind of orchestra woman men doing it all which is totally unsustainable and we i think many of us find it really hard to imagine how do you transition from making a living for yourself to having a team and being able to sustain yourself your family your team and everything right so i want to ask you how did you first what came first if it was that you had that extra money to hire people or that if you planned okay if i hire people i can generate that extra money for my business um and therefore i would i would just take that chance and i would make that investment and the second question, um, or like an additional question to that, will be: What were the the things you implemented, or you you had to do first before hiring someone? Because when someone comes in a totally different, disorganized structure, it creates more chaos, right? So, um, yeah. So I want to ask you: What were the things that you had to to put in place in order to bring some people in into your business? So initially, I had. Um... I had an employee before Amy hmm. named Kristen who was amazing and she like when I moved to Portland I actually after Clay my wife left to go get a job I was like okay Clay's not helping me anymore I need help hmm. by somebody else so I hired Kristen she was with me for um, about a year and a half and um, we kind of systematized together hmm. I um, like how we were going to pack and ship orders and how the process was. So I show, I trained her how I always did it. She would be like, okay, well, well maybe we could do it this way. And this system would work a little bit better. And um, she also, I was working on a lot of books at the time and she was a phenomenal writer. And so she also helped me with a lot of writing and editing. And so her job was split between packing and shipping and writing and then she she went and got another job um and i worked by myself for a while and was like oh my this isn't gonna work i and at that point things were really starting to take off for me and that's when i hired amy and again i brought amy in and i said we're gonna treat this as a partnership i i'm not gonna tell you what to do i'm gonna show you how i do it but i really am open to doing it better and i want your ideas i want you to own this I knew enough about people management and working in collaboration from my years in the nonprofit world that um, I understood how to be a a good boss. And part of that was um, kind of like gradually releasing responsibility. Like, I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to help you. And then once you're ready, I'm going to let you do it yourself. And on top of that, I'm going to let you completely change how we do it. Mm. Um, That in a way that works for you and that's faster and more efficient. Um, and Amy, you know, you have to have the right employee, obviously the right person to, to release responsibility to. And Amy really proved herself in that way. Mm. And eventually she, I completely, I stopped having anything to do with packing and shipping. And this was even before I hired her full time. She was still freelancing for me. And, um, and did you just, feel, did you feel that she, because you hire her, you were generating more revenue or? Not what? yet. Okay. Not yet. Okay. No, that didn't happen yet. So I I think in the beginning there was this period where it I had to invest money in her. Mm. Um, but I did, was making enough through client work, not through my, it's like, it's interesting because the shop now, my shop now pays for the employees who help with the shop but before it was my client work that paid for Amy not mm. not necessarily the revenue from the shop but I knew that if I invested that money in training her that she was going to start running it so well that it was going to improve the revenue of the shop yeah. and that eventually happened and that's when I brought her on full-time and I paid her a salary mm. she left she had two jobs at the time she left her other job came work for me um, full-time and um, now she's so good at um, like 
product development. And so it became this job for her that was, I really tapped into her skills. Like, mm. you know, she, yeah, she anybody can learn to pack and ship and order and make it look beautiful. But she was like invested time in finding eco-friendly packaging. Mm. She made everything look beautiful. She started helping me with like products. Like, hey, Lisa, have you ever thought about doing socks? Have you ever thought about stickers? Have you ever thought about this? And so then we started talking about like manufacturing our own things in addition to the stuff that I was licensing. Um, and that started generating more revenue and I started to see the benefit of her, but it was a slow process of me trusting her, of her kind of like stepping into her own power, if you will, like, um, you know, she had experience in merchandising and retail and I really capitalized on that. Um, and now like she's basically my art director, yeah. but she started as like my packing and shipping assistant. And I just saw something in her that was special. And over time I continued to give her raises and really like wanted her to feel invested in my brand and in being part of my brand. And now it totally, she completely pays for herself, but it wasn't like it happened overnight. So initially yeah. I paid her through other funds, but now her work and her effort has made my shop, um, like we had our highest grossing year last year, almost by a third from 2020. And that was really her. I have really very little to do with it anymore. And I think also something that I hear from what you're saying is that now she is someone who really owns her work, but also represents your vision in a very effective way, you know? So you made, you didn't only like train her, but also you let her bring some something of herself into the job and some of her skills into the job, but you also had to take the position of being a leader and kind of showing the way or where the project is heading, right? Where, you yeah. know, what your vision is so that she can yeah. actually translate it into a shop that is successful and runs smoothly and has like happy customers, right? Yeah, exactly. And the same thing happened when I, I hired um, Lauren to do my newsletter. And then very quickly, I was like, oh, this woman is way more skilled than just yeah. writing my newsletter. She's a strategist. Like she knows she. And so then she and Amy started working together. And like now I'll be in my side of the studio just drawing or something and I'll hear them sitting at a table like talking about what you know what strategy they want to enact um to like around a certain product or like what new products they think we should launch and they're so invested in my brand i mean they don't make the art but mm. they like help with design and execution and it's really kind of like this magical moment that i never ever imagined was possible where i have this team of people who loves what I do and enjoys working there and um, feels they feel really invested mm. in you know a lot of artists hire people who want to eventually become the artist mm. so people I actually avoided hiring people who said I want to learn from you or yeah. I want to be you someday I was like I don't I don't need that I need people who are want to be in this support position and want to be help me with my creative business and be creative themselves obviously and I found and both of the women who work for me are in their the full-time employees are in their 40s they this is their this is their this is their career now working with me and I'm trying to make that as you know happy an experience for them as possible but like I, I don't have 23 year old art students working for me because they want to learn from me and be me eventually yeah. I mean that's great but I don't that's not that's not who I hired, and I'm really glad about that. And I think it's so. Um, I also picked up on this. Uh, this uh, what you mentioned before that you have someone managing your newsletter and your social media, which, as I as I said before, like sometimes it's very hard for us 
who have a personal brand to let go of these things that seem very personal. And I, I see that really often that uh, many business owners that are already advanced in the game uh, or in their careers, they still manage or they still spend many hours of their day managing their social media, um, kind of writing all of their newsletters and stuff. And they don't want to let go of this because they believe that no one else can do it. And I know that for for many of those listening that are just starting, this seems like really far away in their life. Like, okay, the day I will get to hire a social media manager, you know, I will be like an accomplished artist. But actually, I think that it's just inspiring to listen that from someone like you who has a very strong personal brand because i think it puts the things in perspective in terms of like you need to decide what where do you put the focus on your business where you know where do you need to be and where you don't need to be and um that could be a very small thing but that could be a very big thing like managing your you know, marketing strategy and your communication and social media and all of that, right? And I think it's so, so interesting for, to hear it from you because you have also a very personal voice on social media and still you have someone who manages that for that and, and kind of um, takes care of that. And you can still be yourself, put your voice out there, put your vision out there and have someone helping you with that. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that it is like, it's not either or. I hmm. still write most of my Instagram in feed posts totally, yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, but Lauren and Amy have access to my stories. They hmm. log into my account and they post reminders about sales and things like that. I mean, they're not posting pictures of me you know, my selfies that I take about my outfit or whatever, you know, it's a little bit of like this, like, you know, releasing responsibility. Like I, I never, ever could have imagined giving any of my employees, uh, uh, my password to my Instagram. Yeah. And at one point I would have been like, no way. Yeah. And now I rely on them for it. And, um, and you know, what's really great is like any, we do SMS, um, like, um, campaigns to like a text message stuff and they manage all of that and they schedule it they decide what it's going to be about but they always send me things uh, send it to me ahead of time and say does this sound like Mm. something you would say Mm. and in the beginning I was like no 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 and now I barely ever have to say no because they figured out like how my voice works and I do approve everything that goes out um and in fact in the newsletter we have a meeting every two weeks where we decide what's going in the next newsletter. And then there's a like a Google Doc where we each have responsibility for completing different sections of the newsletter. And I still write the opening letter. I still write some of the, the section on like what podcast is being released and why I enjoyed talking to that person. But, um, you know, if there needs to be a piece of artwork, um, I often will make the artwork and plop it in the folder. But Lauren then puts it all together. So it's like this way that I've learned to work that where other people are taking, doing the heavy, most of the heavy hitting. And I still am writing. I'm still creating art. I'm still me, but in a way that's manageable. And that um, feels super important. And I agree with you. Like there was a time when I never could have imagined doing this, but here's the thing. And this is really important in the last year that I've had this team, I have spent more time drawing and painting and being creative, oh, yeah. sometimes for myself, sometimes for clients than I ever have before because um, other people are doing this other stuff for me. I also have an accountant who does all my bookkeeping and invoicing now. I have an agent who does my contract negotiations. I have all of these people in my sphere who help me so that I can go back to I actually am making more art than I've made in years because yeah. I'm not spending so much of my time doing and it. And that's amazing that you can actually work on your genius song. I mean, that's all you want as you grow in your business. That's all you want. That's where you want, you want to get, actually. Lisa, I want to take a left turn here. And as we go into the, you know, the last bit of our show today, I want to talk a little bit about mental health and i know that you 
at least in the past, and I don't know if you continue talking about it often, but you you often speak about burnout. And I know you have gone through several um, periods of burnout yourself. And I want to ask you, how did you overcome this? And what are the boundaries that you have set for yourself to sort of keep a healthy work environment as an artist? Yeah, so I think um, in 2016 was really the year that I, you know, I was working really hard from, you know, I started my career in 2007. Mm. So for about 10 years, Mm. I kind of handled it all without a ton of burnout. And then in 2016, I... I was on a book tour and I was in New York and I woke up one morning and I was like, I am miserable. Mm. Like I, I'm on too many airplanes. I am working on too many projects. I have no time for myself. I had chronic pain in my back and neck. I had gained weight. I wasn't exercising. I was like, felt crappy um, mentally, physically. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is not fun. And so um, I started talking openly about what I was going through um, on my blog, on Instagram, um, and I really just came out of the closet basically like I'm not happy. I need to change something. And what's interesting is like we're, you know, seven years later or so, it's still a work in progress, but I have made so much progress. And so some of that has been all the things that we've talked about, which is like, okay, my business has grown. I need to take some financial risks and hire help. Mm. And I need to find the right people that I trust so that I can relax when I'm not working and not feel like, you know, worried about whether they're doing things the way that I would like them to be done or, you know, that are on brand for me. And I, I managed to be successful at that. So that's been really helpful. Um, I also have an agent now who has been um, really understands that if I take on too much and right now I'm at that point in my career where every other day I get another brand opportunity or another thing somebody wants to work with me that I can't do it all that even though these are exciting opportunities they pay well um, that I just I'm one person and no one can make the art for me and that is time consuming and that I really, um, that there is a limit and that having, that that taking on less work is actually gonna make me a better artist. And he really understands that and that support has been so wonderful. Um, and I think thirdly, I'm just, I, I actually recorded a podcast episode about this a few weeks ago, but I am really working on just having boundaries. I'm a, I'm a real people pleaser. I like to say yes. When people want to work with me, I get really excited and honored. And I, you know, nobody wants to say no, or it's not even about the money. Sometimes it's just like, oh my gosh, this, this brand wants to work with me, or this person wants to work with me. And I just can't do it all. And so I have like a calendar now where time is blocked off. And if things are blocked off, I have to say no, even if it's the dream opportunity. And I have to, I've gotten really good at like gently saying no, keeping the door open for the future, um, and just letting go of opportunities that I've lost because, um, because I'm trying to take care, better care of myself and have more time to relax and ride my bike and take vacations and take two weeks off like I just did and not worry about work. Um, and that's been, that's been hard and it's continuing, it's, it's continual work, um, but I'm seeing the benefits. Like I'm looking at this next year and I basically am pretty much booked for the rest of the year. And all of what's on my calendar feels really manageable. Um, it sucks because I'm still getting inquiries and I'm still having to say, no, sorry, I'm booked. Um, but I also am super grateful that I'm in this position and I'm trying to, to like really stay in that place of gratitude um, and not, you know, fall into this place of like, having anxiety because I'm having to say no to so many things and that I can't do it all because I just, I can't. And I realize that I'm a much happier person. I sleep better at night. Um, when I have spaciousness in my life, when I'm not every minute of my day is taken up with, with work and that I'm so exhausted at night that I can't even enjoy my time with my partner and my pets. 
So, and if you have to name two things that you think had made a difference in your life and is in your success as a as an artist, can you identify like two things? It could be anything. It could be attitudes that you have had, or things that you said no to, or um, even like crises you have gone through um, or projects that you have done that you thought like, okay, this, this really changed my life and my career forever. What were the things, the two or three things that you can identify in your, when you look back? Well, a big one for me is I am a risk taker and um, part of, I think part of my quote success or the way that my career has ended up is that I have said yes to things that I wasn't necessarily prepared for or didn't feel confident that I could do. And I said yes. And then I said, I'll figure it out later. Now, that's very stressful. Like living and working outside your comfort zone is like being on, you know, having your adrenaline going all of the time. And eventually that will wear on you. But I do feel like there are also benefits to stretching yourself. And I have gotten really it's like people are like oh you're so fearless you do all these things and I'm like no actually I have the same amount of fear and anxiety as the next person I just have this ability um to feel the fear and then just be like okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna learn this I'm gonna figure this out and so um I feel like there's this certain amount of like risk taking um that a lot of people don't do um that I see my that I do not just when opportunities come my way but like initiating things myself that I don't necessarily know or have no guarantee they're going to be successful um, like hiring a staff and things like that um so that's one thing I think another thing that's helped with my success is that I'm very um people see me as a human being Mm. not a brand now I am a brand Um, And, you you know, you and I have used the term personal brand and um, you also have a personal brand. And so, you know what this feels like. But I think um, every now and again, I feel like I want to hide behind some brand name and not. (laughs) And I think if that's who you are as an artist, that's fair. But um, for me, this idea of um, uh, like being the person, being the face, being the name, um, having the values and ethos and um, that, you know, of my brand, um, living that, embodying that, um, putting myself out there has really helped because sometimes people buy things from me because they think they're pretty, but sometimes people buy things from me because they feel connected to me mm-hmm. and they want that thing because it's going to remind them of something that they associate with me, which is positive. And so, I think that's really helped me um, personally. Um, And I think thirdly and related to that, um, kind of like having a business that's really driven by my values Mm. and what's important to me. So for example, like service and um, um, being generous with information is really important to me. Um, uh, Community is over competition is really important to me. Um, uh, You know, speaking out about, things in the world that feel unjust is important to me. And so those are all things that are part of my business as well. Mm -hmm. And so living my values and having my business embody my values is really important. And, you know, I'm, when I meet with my team, we have these retreats and meetings where we talk about the brand pillars or the brand values and how we embody those. So it's like, it's beyond me now it's spreading to the people who work with me. And I feel like that's really helped, um, to grow my brand and to grow my business in a way that feels meaningful and personal and um, and something I want to get up and do every day. Yeah. That sounds like a dream job that you have created <laughs> for yourself, Lisa. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being uh, here today and for chatting with me and for sharing all of the things that you have gone through in your creative career. Um, I feel that this this can really encourage a lot of our listeners to imagine what that could look like for themselves. And the fact that you open, you were so open to speak about all, all of this stuff in the podcast, I think um, brings them 
a step closer to that vision that they have for themselves. So I appreciate that you share all of the things today. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, so the place where I hang out the most is Instagram, and that's mm -hmm. just my name. It's like advantage of being an early adopter to social media platforms is that you get your actual name. Um, so I'm at Lisa Congdon, mm -hmm. and then my website is also a really great um, source of information. There's links to my shop, my podcast, um, all the classes that I teach online, my, all of my books, um, all that great stuff is on my website, which is lisacongdon.com. Yes, and I'm going to add all of this to our show notes. I'm going to add Lisa's um, links to her website, the shop, the online shop, the online classes, and um, all of your books that you have a ton of books out there that speak about, about um, developing your creative voice, um, starting a business in art. And you also have a podcast that is called Lisa, the Lisa Condon Sessions, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm going to add a link to that on the show notes Thank so you. that you can find Lisa everywhere. Thank you, everybody, <laughs> for tuning in. Thank you, Lisa, for being on the show Thank today. Thank you, Martina. Goodbye, everybody. So this is it. I hope you loved this episode. You can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martina Flor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have a question or comments, go to martinaflor.com slash podcast, where you can see previous episodes, find show notes, and send voice memos with your comments and questions. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube. Just go to martinaflor.com slash YouTube to find them. You can, of course, listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you loved this episode, subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave us a review, it will help others find us. Thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. Bye-bye.